Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres with the show before the show. And it's Paige Wesley. And it's Andrea Gazzetta. Yay! And we're here to read another five-star review because this is something that we're doing. For everyone who leaves us one, the funnier the better. If you leave them with like a character voice, we'll make sure to read it. Yeah, for sure. So this one comes to us this week from Captain Cat. And Captain Cat says, this is the podcast you didn't know you needed. She says, I've never wanted to wake up on a Monday morning ever but now it's so much easier because i'm always looking forward to listening to what andrea armando and Paige have in store for me these guys go over and beyond what they need to do in order to research each cult that they share with their listeners they back their info up with credible resources and even go so far as to read crappy racist books and, <laughs> and watch, hashtag turner diaries and watch crappy racist movies hashtag birth of a nation so that we can better understand what these cults are about not only are these three amigos informative but they are funny af i laughed out loud at least two times every episode i almost never laughed at any sort of podcast movie <laughs> video etc <laughs> this is an argument against us maybe <laughs> but these guys can get it out of me <laughs> the way that is the- it satan because <laughs> give it will, to me we will get give it, it to us you. now the way that the three of the hosts interact makes you almost feel like you're there in the studio recording with them their inside jokes are on point and never overdone on top, did i write this <laughs> <laughs> on top of that cool podcast is great at reaching out to and keeping up with their fans they're truly the best podcast to listen to and support if you don't like this podcast i'm suspicious of what kinds of kool-aid you've been drinking <laughs> thanks captain cat you're the best Thank you. We uh, will read another five-star review for you next week. But until then, enjoy the show. Hello. Hello. Got him. Horribly off pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships and organizations that actively recruit new members all cults might have some or all of these traits and as always these these are are our opinions. opinions Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... Andrea Cassetta! Yay! It's Armando's Week! What? What? You win. You definitely win. (laughs) (laughs) So, this week, we're covering one of the deadliest and most famous cults that you forgot you knew about. Over the past 30 years, they've killed more than 100,000 people, abducted over 60,000 children, and displaced 2.5 million people. The leader, a man who claims to be possessed by ancient spirits, has fathered over 42 children with more than 60 wives. He was the first man to ever be issued a warrant from the International Criminal Court, and he's been called Africa's David Koresh, and for good reasoning. We're covering Joseph Coney and the LRA. Coney 2012! So, this is going to be a three-part series on Coney. And if you stick with us, things are going to get real sad, real angry, and believe it or not, really fucking goofy. Goofier than last week? 
Yeah. <laughs> Tough it's, to do. <laughs> it's pretty insane how, like, uh, this was originally just supposed to be a one-episode thing. Mm-hmm. And then the more that I would research and, and the, the deeper that I would get into it, the more I was like, this is fucking buck wild. Mm-hmm. And so now this is going to be a three-part series. And in this episode, uh, we're going to cover... Um, sort of the history of Uganda as well as where Kony sort of comes from in a way. Because okay. one of the things that sticks out to me all the time whenever people talk about uh, Kony is they always go, uh, they always say, oh, well, it's complicated. You know, they say right. like, oh, well, you want to help out Kony, but it's way too complicated. And I was like, why the fuck? What do they mean it's complicated? And then I started looking into the things that caused Kony to come to power. Uh, and it is complicated is so much of a fucking understatement. It's insane. <laughs> so this week we're going to start off with one of the segments that I uh, have pretty much come to love almost as much as Speculation Zone in this uh, podcast that we do, and it is called Literally the Quickest History Lesson Possible. (laughs) (laughs) And the subject for today is Uganda. Now, I want everyone to remember two things. First of all, I am not very smart. I know that a lot of people think that I'm smart. and Not Scientology, uh, though. No. <laughs> According to Scientology, the exact opposite. Yeah. So I, I'm not a very smart person. I'm intuitive. I can use the internet. But that's about where that caps out. Secondly, when I started learning about world history was about the same time in my life that I started learning about weed. So just keep that in mind. That, like... <laughs> In my in the history of Armando, sweet bong rips and also the intricacies of the world's government were happening in about the same time. History, bro. <laughs> Fucking four twenty, learn it, dude. Bong ripstery, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's our new podcast, everybody. <laughs> bong ripstery, bro. You just get stoned and talk about a place in history. Yeah, it's, it like, never works. This week on Dan Carlin's. Like chode core history, we're talking. Everybody on this week, we're supposed to talk about for America, but we got too high. We just play Xbox. <laughs> Welcome to Bong. B- I forgot the name of the show. <laughs> Bong Rip Street. So we're going to start off this episode by kind of learning about the history of the country of Uganda. During the 1800s, the area around Lake Victoria in Central Africa was isolated from the outside world. One kingdom, Bunyoro, ruled over most of the area and the smaller clans that lived there. However, in 1844, Arab traders came to the area and started trading with Buganda, a small clan that served Bunyoro. The small clan was beginning to butt heads with Banyoro, but they couldn't really compete with the kingdom's numbers. And uh, by numbers, I mean like a bunch of people. I don't mean like they weaponized math or something. (laughs) (laughs) Two plus two! And then they just throw it at you. Math wars. (laughs) Uh, Today on Bong Ripstery, the math (laughs) wars! Uh, Dude, that would make a math club competition so much cooler. (laughs) (laughs) But the Arab traders offered Buganda something that would give them a fighting chance. Guns? Yeah. That's right, right, motherfucker. You brought people to a gunfight. <laughs> oh, people no. to a gunfight. 
no. Your two plus two won't help you now. By the time you're Your two plus two can't beat my four four. By the time European settlers arrived in Central Africa eight years later in 1862, Buganda was quickly becoming the largest kingdom in the area. Now, this is a report that Henry Morton Stanley did on Buganda. Uh, Henry Morton Stanley is a, um, a noted British explorer and journalist, which used to be a job back in the day. Because <laughs> back in the day, you couldn't just like look something up from somebody else's blog you had to go discover the news right you were like well gonna go on an expedition on a trip for four years and if i come back maybe i'll find out if there's more colors (laughs) (laughs) then you you come back missing an arm and you're like i found purple (laughs) purple and also cinnamon for some reason (laughs) cinnamon's a spice and a color Mr. Stanley reported that Buganda was a highly organized political system that used its army of 3,000 and a fleet of war canoes, which is hilarious because, in my mind, canoes are always fun. Have, well, have you ever been canoeing? Yeah, I've been canoeing. It's uh, it's fun until you run out of breath. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> I uh, have very short arms, and the one time I went canoeing, it was with people who were afraid of water. What? Oh, no and so they freaked out and peddled us right like paddled us right under a tree so uh, we basically capsized pretty much immediately that's okay well imagine uh, (laughs) it was real lame imagine trying to do that while also shooting at the enemy (laughs) because that's what they did to take control of lake victoria and all of the surrounding regions he was blown away by the complexity of the kingdom in particular its capital village which had ambassadors from other clans and countries Chiefs that sat on a royal advisory council telling the king what he should do. Schools for children. Uh, They even had, like, buildings, like meeting halls and storage facilities. I'm pretty sure they even had a fucking Whole Foods there at one point. They they totally did. the parking lot was still shit. There was never (laughs) enough room for the canoes. (laughs) Was it it called Whole Foods because it had a lot of bullet holes in it? Oh, Oh. that's pretty good. He was blown away because I think back in the 1800s, white people didn't realize that cultures could survive without white influence. Like when we're like that sometimes. <laughs> when European settlers heard isolated from the outside world, they pictured a bunch of brown dudes hanging out being like, "Boy, howdy, wish someone would tell me about Jesus." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, it was absolutely wild to them that this this culture was so well organized and actually like they had a political system that was rivaling what they had back home in fact they didn't uh the buganda didn't have like they didn't believe in a family line of rulers so what would happen is once the king died each clan would send somebody that they thought deserved to be a leader and then the council would vote on who of those people they should elect to be leader so it's like wakanda yeah they don't fight it was more like a, a, it was, everyone was like elected into power and no one clan really held on to power for too long. Also, something that was really kind of sad was when I was researching Uganda, I went to uh, Wikipedia and right there at the top, they had to put, not to be confused with Wakanda. 
I mean, no one's confusing it unless you're a dummy. Yeah, there's a lot of dummies out there. Yeah. However, Buganda's well-ordered kingdom of over 2 million people wow. had significant drawbacks. For one, the highly organized political system I mentioned also included a practice of mass human sacrifice of about <laughs> 800 people a year. Oh, they on that Aztec trip, huh? Awkward. Yeah. Dude, <laughs> if you think our taxes are bad... Oh, <laughs> uh, well, looks like I got too much on my 1099. I gotta send them our son. Oh, jeez. It's fucking, it was terrible. Secondly, Buganda had a habit of subjugating any of the clans living in the surrounding areas. And if you fell under Bugandan rule, you basically worked for them. And on top of that, you might just be one of those 800. Well, yeah, of course, because who are you going to choose? Your family or like, hey, that other tribe, uh, we could use on them instead. Exactly. And right. and part of the reasoning that they had for this, and it's kind of fucked up, part of the reasoning was that they were so sick and tired of the Banyoro who had ruled over them for so long that once they were in rule, they turned it right back around and started doing the same shit to people that they thought had persecuted them in the past. Because of these factors, more clans and kingdoms decided that they wanted to trade too. It was the only way to keep up with the arms race that Buganda had started because trading was going so well, more countries sent traders to Lake Victoria. So you, Buganda was basically the entire part of southern Uganda and a little bit of uh, below that. And like you said, Paige, uh, when if we talked can, about this. Yeah, if you control the water, you control trade. And they, they sure as shit did. They yeah. controlled the water and all of the area surrounding it. Mm-hmm. They completely took a, a page from the British playbook and just created the strongest naval force around. But as we've seen a million times in history, traders don't just bring guns and cloth, they also bring God. Like, the world's worst Amazon. Like, hey, did you like clothes? Well, you might also like Jesus. (laughs) Who, oddly enough, did not wear a lot of clothes. No, no. I mean, he lived in a hot climate, I understand. That's fair. I was having a discussion the other day with uh, Andrea, and I said something in, like, my high mind of just, like, what if one of Jesus's miracles was he was uh, he was actually white and it was just a white guy was born in the Middle <laughs> East? Oh, <laughs> like man. they're like, well, how would that have even be possible? Exactly. <laughs> anyway, the Arab traders brought Islam. The Germans spread their Protestant Christianity, and even the Roman Catholic Church sent missionaries to convert anyone that the first two didn't scoop up, because. It really, they just, it didn't, Catholicism did not sell well. They were like, hey, do you like Christianity, but feel like you don't hate yourself enough? (laughs) Catholicism. They're like, we've already got a pretty big base. I don't think we really need to invest in advertising because we're growing over gains given that we're not doing any sort of like condoms and shit. I think we'll be okay. I don't know why they were Western. Do do you want all the creepy chanting of singing but without musical instruments? Catholicism. Oh, (laughs) one of my favorite Mm, albums is that, like, 90s album that had, like, techno behind chanting. What? (laughs) Are you not familiar with this? No. Yes. Oh, yeah. I know that. It's, uh, it's Pac, what's it called? Epic. Epic Times. Come on. I bet if you Google sexy Gregorian chants, you'll find it. 
(laughs) (laughs) So, by 1887, the armed clans that were basically already fighting over territories broke out into a full-blown religious war. In the following seven years, the scales tipped back and forth between Islam and the Christian Buganda. The territory was Muslim, and then it was Christian, and then it was Catholic for like a month, and then it was Muslim, and then it was Christian once again. The scales tipped back and forth so much you would have thought they belonged to Jonah Hill. <laughs> oh, oh, hey, oh, oh, hey. I'm working on my he's, late night package. He's on a life journey. You leave him alone. <laughs> I celebrate Jonah Hill Day once a year. <laughs> but if you think this sounds like everything was going to shit, you're not alone because the British thought so too. And in 1894, they decided to annex the entire region and form the Uganda Protectorate. But unlike other colonies under British rule, the Uganda Protectorate was put in hands of a group of people who actually lived there. The Buganda. Because, sure, a few administrators were sent from London to the Uganda Protectorate, but the British wanted to leave the day-to-day operations to the largest kingdom in the colony. And there was a bunch of reasons why the British went with the Buganda. I mean, this is Roman tactic. Yeah. 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 I mean, the thing is, is, is at the time... Uh, Other places like even the neighboring Kenya. Kenya was under full British control. Like they said, administrators over. But the Buganda basically, it was like uh, the Buganda were like the older brother and your mom was was going out on a date. And so you're just like, whatever your older brother says goes and you have to listen because when mom gets home, if you didn't listen, she'll kick your fucking ass and also uh, sell you into slavery. Right. The analogy's getting a little mild. <laughs> British, the Brit, Britain is a bad mom, is yeah. what I'm going to say. They're one bad mommy. But the kingdom also acted the most friendly toward Britain. Other kingdoms actually fought the British soldiers when they came. Because they thought they were trying to take them over. Because people travel and ambassadors from other parts of Africa came through. And so they were like, yeah, these white dudes came and then they took Gary and now Gary and his whole family are gone. And so when they saw these white dudes coming, they were like, Oh shit, not me. And so they fought back, which is not like a, that's a really smart tactic, you know, to keep contact. They also liked the kingdom because it was Christian. Buganda had fully sided with the the Protestant Christians. But the biggest reason they liked Buganda was because its army had the ability to collect taxes from the citizens of the colony. Wow. Yeah, because Uganda needed to pay taxes to Britain because Britain was severely in the hole for the troops that it sent over to stop that religious war. They also had to pay off Germany for some of their property in, uh, I think, Kenya and a lot of the surrounding areas of Uganda. And what's actually kind of funny is like 20 years later, Germany lost all of its territory because yeah. they lost World War One. So how was the Uganda Protectorate supposed to pay taxes? Easy. In the year 1900, Britain and Uganda came up with a brilliant plan. Buganda would enslave all of the smaller kingdoms. Ooh. Yeah. So oh, no. slavery was outlawed in Britain in, I think, 1833. This is 77 years after that, and they're allowed to do it because it's not technically in Britain dark and so the buganda are enslaving smaller kingdoms that once reigned over them like 
the Banyoro or the Acholi, which are two different... Uh, the Acholi are in the northern part of Uganda, and the Banyoro used to own all of Buganda's territory until Buganda got guns and then fucked everyone's ass up. It wasn't until 1962 that Uganda became its own independent country, and... I know that we're taking a big skip there from the 1900s to fucking 1962. And that's not to say nothing went down in there. A lot went down there. Slavery happened. Two world wars happened. And guess where Britain pulled soldiers from? Yeah. The smaller tribes that didn't want to be slaves anymore were just brought into the king's uh, rifle army, I think is what it was called, the KRA. But it wasn't until 1962 that Uganda became its own independent country. And even then, Buganda still held significant power. So when Milton Obote was appointed prime minister, the Buganda king, Mutesa, still had to be made the ceremonial president of Uganda. Because they couldn't let it go. They were like, if, you, if you're taking power, I need power. I need to have the power too. That was until about four years later, in 1966, when Milton Obote and the commander of Uganda's army were implicated in a gold smuggling plot. And when Uganda's parliament demanded an investigation, Milton staged a coup. He declared himself president of Uganda, forced King Mutesa into exile, and secured his spot as the permanent leader of Uganda. That was until about five years later, in 1971, when Milton's gold smuggling partner and commander of Uganda's army, Idi Amin, <sighs> found Amin. out that found out that Milton was about to arrest him for misusing military funds. So Idi staged a coup, declared himself president of Uganda, and forced Milton Obote into exile, securing his spot as the permanent leader of Uganda. That was until about nine years later, in 1980, when Tanzanian forces and those exiled from Uganda staged a coup, declared Milton fucking Abote the president of Uganda again, and forced Idi into exile, securing his permanent leader of Uganda. I'm not even fucking kidding. The period of time where Milton Abote became president again, they called it Abote 2. <laughs> Electric boogaloo? <laughs> the squeakle. I would have rather they called it like a bote with a vengeance. <laughs> Although, to be fair. Or just a, a bote's. Just add the X to it the, <laughs> the way they do in Aliens. Although, to be fair, a bo- uh, live free or a bote would have been also fitting. <laughs> because... Live free, a bote hard. <laughs> oh, man. But. That was until five years later, in 1985, when General Tito Okello staged a coup, declared himself president of Uganda, and forced Milton Obote back into exile, securing his spot as a permanent leader of Uganda. That was until six <laughs> months later. Oh, In boo. 1986, when the National Resistance Army, led by Yawari Museveni, staged a coup, elected Yawari Museveni president of Uganda, and forced Tito into exile. And since 1986, Yawari Museveni has remained the president of Uganda. Now, let me get something straight. Milton Obote, he was responsible for the death of over ha- uh, half a million people. Idi Amin is responsible for more than that. And in addition to that, just general crimes against humanity. I don't know what Tito did, but I've also just never met a good guy named Tito. So <laughs> I mean, he formed a band with like four of his brothers, but their dad was like really <laughs> overbearing. <laughs> I don't know, man. Maybe Tito was a good dude. I don't know. But the rest of them, they were horrible dictators, murderers, and certified shitbags. And also a guy named Tito. (laughs) So, 
Is Yaori Museveni as bad as them? I can't tell you, but he's 100% not a good person. He's changed laws so that he can stay in power. He's had his political rivals arrested, and much, much worse. He's also been absolutely outspoken that about thinking gay people are disgusting. And I'm not making an exaggeration. Here is a clip of him literally saying that gay people are disgusting. Do you personally dislike homosexuals? Of course, they are disgusting. What, what, what sort of people are they? How can you go? Uh, I, I, don't, I never knew what they were doing. That's how I've been told recently that uh, what they do is terrible. Disgusting. Jesus. Ooh, is yeah. this the one where he finds out what oral sex is? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's another clip. There's a clip of him on the day he found out what oral sex was. And he basically, he's just trying, he's just like, I do not understand. It is, uh, 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 the mouth is for eating, not for the sex. Buddy, you're missing out on a lot of fun. It's your own I know. Fault. Yeah. I know. He also, I love how he says, like, uh, I had no idea what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And then I found out. He's like, I had no idea what they were doing. They were throwing kick-ass parties and <laughs> kicking it in West Hollywood. <laughs> they were being total carries. It was ridiculous. <laughs> so many cartwheels. <laughs> Yawori Museveni has been in power for 33 years. And at this point, it doesn't look like he's going anywhere soon. Now, since the independence movement, Uganda has seen a growing tradition of ethnically driven violence. There's an author named James Ogero Latigo who wrote about this phenomenon in Uganda. He says, Uganda has been plagued by a history of cycles of revenge and mistrust. Deep-rooted divisions and polarization remain between different ethnic groups, and these have been greatly exacerbated by the way in which the country's leadership has developed since independence. And perhaps no ethnic group exemplifies this more than the Acholi. I mentioned that during colonial times, the Acholi were one of the groups that Buganda used for slave labor. So it shouldn't surprise you that they supported Milton Obote, who exiled the Bugandan king. Because of that, it shouldn't surprise you when Idi Amin rose to power, he killed over 300,000 supporters of Milton Obote, and most of these people were Acholi. So because of that, it shouldn't surprise you that the people who took down Edi was General Tito, who was an Acholi man and his army made up of mostly Acholi people. And because of that, it shouldn't surprise you that when Yosef Museveni was fighting to take over Uganda, he basically left a wake of robberies, rapes, and murders of the Acholi people. Their houses were burnt to the ground, and these people were being forced to leave Uganda. And following an almost tradition of violence, a rebel leader named Alice Oma led a group of soldiers against Yaori Museveni and his army. And Alice was different from all the other rebel leaders. Alice's army wasn't just fighting for the rights of the Acholi people, they were on a mission from God. Ooh. <laughs> Q Blues Brother music. Yeah. <laughs> it was less cool, though. They weren't, like, driving through Chicago. They were, like, barely surviving in Uganda. Oh. Yeah. Hey, come on to Chicago. We're on a mission from God. Alice Oma was born in the northern tip of the Uganda Protectorate in 1956. She was part of a large farming family that was forced to work for the British and the Buganda. 
Alice and her family practiced the traditional Acholi religion that was based around spirit worship. Spirit worship is something that we've talked about a lot when we were doing, like, uh, voodoo. Yeah, or even Narcos Satanicos. We covered it a little bit. Exactly. Alice's life had been a really rough one. She had two failed marriages, both of which produced no kids, and after that she decided to travel away from her hometown for a few years before returning in 1985 to drop two bombshells on her family. Firstly, no big deal, she had converted to Christianity. But secondly, kind of a big deal, even though she was now Christian, she had been possessed by the spirit named La Quenya, which was the spirit that Acholi believed to be a representation of the Christian Holy Spirit. So what Alice was trying to say was that she was possessed by God. That's a weird coming out story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Alice's family had a perfectly logical explanation for the appearance of Laquenya. Alice had gone fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Story yeah. checks out. <laughs> but the thing is, 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 at the time, they did everything they could to help Alice. And in fact, it is heavily noted that her father took Alice to see 11 witches, but nothing. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're crazy. Get the witches. They'll fix this. She must have had great health insurance. I'm telling you, man. I'm Eleven just, witches, my copay would have been insane. I'm just picturing modern witches where they're like, we don't really do like spells. It's more about intentionality. Um, I turned over the chair card, and that means that you're sitting on a chair. So, I mean, clearly you are. I, I see what I pictured was like a really traditional witch dressed in like the garb, walking in, just being like. All right, so I checked your chart here, and it says you're absolutely fine, but we'll probably have to run a couple more tests. 10 cc's of Eye of Newt, stat! (laughs) Well, after the witches couldn't solve Alice's problems, Laquenya, the spirit that was possessing her, told her that what she needed was to go to Para National Park. Hey, National Parks, why don't you tell them that? But you see where the segue is going to come in later. full of witches. Sea of National Parks, chock full of witches. She went to the Para National Park to... To embark on a spirit quest. <laughs> See, that sounds like something modern witches would <laughs> prescribe does. you. It also sounds like an awesome text edit video game. Ooh. Like spirit quest. Your exits are right, left, or Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Alice obeyed and she disappeared for 40 days. And when she returned, she knew what she wanted to become. A spirit medium. I, w- I was going to say witch, but I was close. Who? I'd rather be a spirit large. Ah. <laughs> I was thinking more like what kind of DeVry is this where it's like medical coding, coding and billing, spirit medium, which is well, medical it, transcription, data entry, <laughs> massage technician. I went on a spirit quest for 40 days and I came back and I realized I want to go to Phoenix University. <laughs> I went on a spirit quest and all I got was this degree in administrative <laughs> assisting. <laughs> Well, it's worth noting that spirit medium, while to us it sounds like pretty fucking impressive and cool. I mean, it sounds like halfway between spirit rare and spirit well done. (laughs) (laughs) But at the time, spirit medium was one of the most common jobs available. Not surprising. That's like if you left for 40 days and you came back dirty and bloody and you were like, I'm going to work for Subway. (laughs) No, you came back and you're like, I have a degree in communications. (laughs) (laughs) But as General Tito lost footing against Museveni's army and the Acholi people became more and more persecuted, Alice's destiny changed again. According to Alice, Laquenya was telling her to go back to Para National Park. 
What? Get your master's in business administration. <laughs> <laughs> More job opportunities. Or you could be a registered nurse. Get it together, girl. Hey, you. You're sitting on your couch. Not to Come to Para National Park. I'm the spirit that lives inside of you. <laughs> Do something for you for once. I know you've got it in you. So what are you doing still sitting there? <laughs> Para National Park. <laughs> An addition to DeVry University. <laughs> That's a very, that is a very uh, specific reference for people who watch daytime television. I, well, and here's the thing. I've only see the, seen them in Los Angeles on daytime television, so I have no idea if they exist out of here. Oh, God. But there is a very specific commercial genre that is people berating you for watching television. Yeah, they're so mean. While you could be getting your degree in medical coding and billing. Yeah, they start they start the commercial by going like, hey you, you fucking piece of shit. Yeah, they're just you like, fucking... hey you, are you just gonna sit around forever or are you gonna take control of your future? Hey you, if you don't fucking kill yourself or get a degree, like they're so aggressive. <laughs> I like the ones that assume things about your life. They're like, hey, you've got a couple kids, but you could still be something. Yeah. And you're like, I'm just sitting here with wheat thins on my day off, man. I was 12 <laughs> watching Maury being like, oh, shit, my kids. <laughs> I need to be an RN. <laughs> well, according to Alice, the spirit of Laquenia told her to go there so that it could hold court with the animals of the park to explore the theme of the ongoing war and how it destroyed the environment. So this war's theme is going to be Majesty Under the Sea. <laughs> We're going to need streamers on this side and then a couple balloons. And then we got this band that's like an Aquabats cover band. It's going to be great. Where do the ribbon dancers go? <laughs> they go In front of the week. screen. Where it's just going to be like, it, like the screen's just going to show the inside of the fish tank. And then they can just talk about their cult or whatever. Laquenya spoke to the animals and said, you animals which is a little accusatory you're in charge of punch hey you (laughs) animals what are you doing you're just sitting there sitting on the forest floor you could be out there making a future for yourself you could be in billing management (laughs) i just see a leopard really terrified for her family (laughs) so maybe you didn't graduate from college get your ged today laquenya spoke to the animals and said you animals God sent me to ask you whether you bear responsibility for the bloodshed in Uganda. The animals denied the blame. A buffalo. <laughs> I feel like they just didn't say anything because they're animals. A buffalo also displayed its wounded knee to show that he too was a victim. I feel Which like is, it's just a bu- buffalo being like, this hurts. Yeah, because really what that means is she goes like, hey, animals, did you do this war? And they're like, I got fucking hurt, man. Look at my knee. I'm a buffalo. <laughs> Have you ever tried talking directly to an animal? Because yeah. I talk they, to my cat all the time and they just kind of stare at you and blink and maybe meow back. Well, the thing is, this is some kind of fucking fight club shit where it's not even Alice talking. It's the spirit inside of Alice talking to the animals of the National Park. (laughs) And also, I'm going to go ahead and just key you guys in on something. It's bullshit. I mean, it's it's like the spirit inside me saying to my cat, Dennis, how do you feel about the socioeconomic implications of Prop 7 and rent control? (laughs) Like, that's the equivalent of what we're doing. I'm a fucking cat. Look at my leg. (laughs) Meow, bitch. This Narnia sequel got weird. (laughs) (laughs) 
So and you're I, sitting in your wardrobe. You wonder what to do with your life. You could be a coat tomorrow. Anyway. Tumnus did it, so can you. If you think that's fucking weird, check this shit out. Because after she after she interrogated the animals, Laquenya questioned the water about the war. Where were you? Are you the one making waves? <laughs> oh my fucking Christ. No answers. Still waters run deep, I guess. <laughs> Listen, you're going to talk, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Once this gets out, there's going to be a big splash. <laughs> I don't know if we can get anything out of her. She's pretty shallow. <laughs> There's nothing there, boss. All right, anyway. Laquenya questioned the water about the war. She said, water, I am coming to ask you about the sins and the bloodsheds in this world. And the water replied, I was the my first thought was the water replied saw me kissing on the counter it wasn't me saw me me <laughs> saw me flowing through the river it wasn't me even had her in the shower it wasn't me after she 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 questioned the water about the sins and the bloodsheds in the world and the water replied the people with two legs kill their brothers and throw their bodies into the water the sinners are the ones to blame for the bloodshed. Go and fight against the sinners because they throw their brothers into the water. Wow, water. Way to snitch. Yeah, dude. (laughs) Also, what the fuck? Are we just two legs to you? Water? (laughs) I've got arms too, asshole. In fairness, that's usually the only part that they feel. (laughs) (laughs) The men with two legs and an ass. They kill their brothers. Alice explains that the good lord who had sent Laquenya decided to change his work from that of a doctor to that of a military commander for one simple reason. It is useless to cure a man today, only that he be killed the next. So it became an obligation on his part to stop the bloodshed before continuing his work as a doctor. And furthermore, who will code his medical files? (laughs) Get the leopard in here. (laughs) Anyway. Her point is that why if if there's if there's a war going on and you're a doctor, why would you cure somebody when they might die tomorrow? You should quit being a doctor and start being a warlord. Wow. That's her idea. That's like why would you if you work at Subway, why would you keep making sandwiches if, if people are just going to eat them? Yeah. <laughs> So put down that sandwich, pick up the knife, and murder! And no, start okay. making your own cold cuts! <laughs> oh, oh, no! That's cold. <laughs> Did we just invent the origin story for the gut man? No! <laughs> no! To us, this concept of switching from a glorified psychic to a wannabe warlord... Also, by the way, she was a glorified psychic. She called herself a doctor. She is super not. She was... Well, yeah, she's a medium. She's yeah. not a full psychic. Just a medium. Ah, <laughs> but no, funny. she's a medium, so she contracts with spirits from other dimensions and the dead. Yeah, which is sort of what they believed happened in the uh, traditional Acholi religion. The thing that made her different is that she didn't just claim to be possessed by one spirit, like what was normal. She claimed to be possessed <laughs> by multiple spirits. Mm. A real spiritual gangbang, if you will. Oh, wow. Okay. But that concept of switching from glorified psychic to wannabe warlord 
wasn't really that wild to the Acholi because a lot of their traditional customs and religious views focused on keeping peace and stability in their home at all times, no matter what. So they truly believed that what should happen is you should defend the homeland and then after that, you're good. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, it was do whatever you need to to pref- to uh, protect. This sounds like I'm making a joke, but it's not. The, the uh, like, colloquial term for the area that the Acholi reside in uh, was called Acholi land. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was just, it's not a, it's not a real part of Uganda, like a city or a state. It was just like... It, Acholi land was the northern tip of Uganda and also, I think, Sudan and Kenya? Okay. So following that Acholi principle is how Alice was able to convince an anti-Museveni resistance group, the Uganda People's Democratic Army, to put some of their troops in her command in November of 1986. Whoa. Yeah, and these soldiers were dubbed the Holy Spirit Movement. Ooh. They were they were also called like the Holy Spirit Mobile Force, which they like those two terms. One of them is the political side, one of them is the war side, but they were really used like interchangeably. They also don't matter. Also, Holy Spirit Mobile Force sounds like those people that are trying to always give me an Obama phone outside of Social Security offices. Oh, <laughs> the fake Obama phones. Yeah. The Holy Spirit movement acted just like any other rebel group in the area in terms of their goals. They fought Museveni's army with the intent of taking and controlling territories and supporting the larger Uganda People's Democratic Army. Where they were different was in their tactics. Because while Lequenya may have been a spirit of a high-ranking military official, Alice was at best just a really excited priest. (laughs) She put her most devoted followers in charge of these small units of soldiers and called them controllers. And controllers were in charge of blessing the soldiers and smearing oil on the troops because she believed that the oil would stop bullets if your soldier had a soul that was pure. I mean, I don't know about the bullet part, but I do love oiled up dudes. (laughs) They're definitely more difficult to wrestle. (laughs) Hey, there you go. Another thing that they did was they also blessed stones so that in their beliefs they would throw them and they would explode like grenades. Because of science? Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know how science works. Didn't you ever read a science book? Animals talk. Mm -hmm. The buffaloes have hurt knees. The water gets really pissed at legs. Rocks Rocks are also grenades. Yeah, rocks are grenades now. Story checks out. They also had a bunch of other weird tactics, like uh, whenever they went into battle, they would completely forego any option of stealth, and they would do this thing where they would form a cross, like a T, Mm -hmm. and then they would run into battle singing Christian hymns. Mm. So you would just hear like... Is an awesome guy, and then just have rocks. <laughs> Gee, being I wonder where the army is. <laughs> they actually won a few battles against Museveni's army, and they gained a lot of goodwill with the other local groups of people who felt just as persecuted as the Acholi. They gained a lot of goodwill because they weren't like Museveni, and they weren't like the Ugandan People's Army. 
their agenda was not to put somebody in charge of Uganda, like basically every other army had been since the beginning of independence. It was to free the Acholi people and just kind of bring peace to the land. And with two big successes under her belt and the support of the local clans, Alice and the Holy Spirit movement decided to change their goal. They would no longer fight under the Ugandan People's Democratic Army, but instead aim to retake Uganda's capital city, Kampala, and initiate a paradise on Earth. Flawless plan. Flawless. Yeah, here's the thing. They're one of these cults that are, um, I forget the word for it, chillistic maybe, I think is what it is, but which sounds wrong. I'm thinking more like Mother of Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a there's a term for it that I can't quite remember what it is, but it's 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 a term for these cults that believe specifically that Jesus will come and reign on earth for a thousand years. That's actually a pretty common belief amongst Christians. Yeah, and they're one of them. They're, I mean, their entire philosophy is based on a mixture of Acholi practices and Christianity. And what they didn't count on was something that's, Kind of obvious to us in hindsight. See, small waves of crosses running and yelling songs and throwing rocks going like... That may have worked in the north where Museveni's armies were kind of scattered and unable to hold a good uh, footing. But the closer you get to Kapala, which is Uganda's capital city in the south, the bigger Museveni's presence was he controlled that and as they made the like pilgrimage from the north to the south every time they took a territory they had to leave people to keep that territory safe or to keep it as their own so the closer they got to the capital the smaller their army actually was got it they were just they were just losing people along the way until literally they have to face the biggest army and they have the fewest people yeah but they also had a super huge inflated ego because they had been winning they were like we're winning not realizing they're totally just like they're not a growing force that's moving through uganda they're a slowly dwindling collection of people being led by somebody who's like oil the men and prepare the rocks the water has beef with you oh oiler boys (laughs) just you wait till these rocks explode just you wait (laughs) and the people are standing there like i can't fucking believe this man you know what water really runs off of an oily man it's the perfect two-legged enemy So, when they got to the south, they were absolutely fucking torn to shreds by Museveni's army. Because Museveni's army had machine guns, they had roadblocks, they had more people than they could... They were an actual army. Yeah, they were a full-blown force that was there to protect the king. They got shut down 50 miles before they reached the city. (laughs) Are you saying the oil didn't stop the bullets? I'm not saying the oil didn't... Well, here's the thing. I feel like it's only because they didn't have enough faith in the oil. Yeah. It's because... Well, she she gave herself an out for that. Because she said the oil would protect you from bullets if your soul was pure. Oh, your soul must not be so pure. Imagine one dude that's just really nice and his bullet does just a ping. Whoa, shit! (laughs) So the Holy Spirit movement was defeated and they had to abandon their goal and head back north. But things weren't much easier for them in the north either because they 
basically just fucking abandoned the Uganda People's Democratic Army, so now they had enemies on both sides of the main factions who were fighting for dominance in Uganda. So while they retreated, they were being fucking hunted by Museveni and his army, but they were also being captured and terrorized by their old bosses, the Uganda People's Democratic Army. Well... When she returned home in 1995, Alice claimed La Quenya had abandoned her, and because of the increasing persecution, she, like so many people that came before her, was forced into exile. Surprise, surprise. Yeah, that's pretty much been this whole episode. It's really upsetting how many times I had to write, and then they were forced into exile. <laughs> the small group of radicalized religious rebels that she had roused remained in Uganda. Bam, try saying that five times fast with a grenade rock in your mouth. I'm not gonna. <laughs> because they couldn't join either side of the fight, most of them basically had nowhere to go and they were forced to resort to looting from innocent villagers just to survive and that was until alice uma's cousin one of her most devoted followers united the religious rebels and that man was the 34 year old joseph coney and that's where we'll pick up next week for joseph coney and the lra part two brap brap It's just, I wanted to give you guys like a little bit of like epilogue, I guess. Alizoma lived the rest of her life in exile in Kenya. And I'm really kind of scared that this episode may have painted her in a positive light. I don't think so. I mean, she she went and got like her junior college witch degree and then tried to make rocks explode. <laughs> I feel like there's not a ton of sympathy for us there. Hey, rock. You're sitting in that stream. You're doing nothing. <laughs> Become a grenade. <laughs> she also waged war on water, which is so much of our planet. To be fair, she waged war for water. Oh, I'm so sorry. Never mind. <laughs> She's like, we're in a goddamn drought. I got it twisted. <laughs> but she was kind of a shitty person. I mean, she was definitely an opportunistic fuck. Because while in exile... Her main source of income was child trafficking. Ooh. Yeah, it's not... I don't care how many degrees you have, that's never a viable option for a job. Yeah, if you're trying to get across town on the 10, the child traffic is ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm a bad person. No, it's great. (laughs) She, and she does this stuff over and over and over, where, like, she was a terrible psychic medium. She did. She couldn't. She didn't do very well at her job, and it wasn't until General Tito started losing that she was like, "Hmm, maybe I could switch up that story about when I went to the national park. Uh, maybe me and Jermaine could hook up and beat Tito. Mm. Jermaine is another Jackson. Yeah, <laughs> you so, looked confused, and I was like, "Okay, here's old oh people no, no, music. no, no, <laughs> I know the Jackson Five and the one that made it. Anyway." Uh, <laughs> For the rest of her life, she waited for the perfect time to start another holy war. She she and people like uh, Idi Amin, basically in exile, showed absolutely zero remorse for doing anything wrong or getting anyone killed. And they basically were like, yeah, I'm going to sit here, I'm going to wait for the next time, and I'm going to come back, and I'm going to do it again. Because that's what, like, Milton Abote did. Like, there's a precedence for these things to happen, which is why they think that they can do that. In fact, she promised that if she alone was given just two guns, she would take the entire country in only three days. Fucking Rambo over here? Shit. Yeah, she was just like, give me two guns. That's the best part, is that 
I feel like somebody must have given her like two guns and she would have been like, not good enough. Hey, I'll wait for two more. I'll, I'll, I'll wait for two better guns. I want to see this Rocky movie of her <laughs> just like with two guns trying to take over Uganda. Gonna die now. <laughs> Shooting people now. Uh, I'm just picturing her sitting at home watching Jean-Claude Van Damme movies and being like, <laughs> shit, I could do that shit. Yeah. Give me two shares. Let's do some splits. <laughs> In 2006, she claimed that she had discovered the cure for AIDS. Is it jelly juice? Oh! <laughs> it actually might be. Oh. Unfortunately, in 2007, she died from AIDS. Oh, she didn't do the protocol right. No. <laughs> oh, no. And I'm not, I'm, I'm going to say, we're not making fun of AIDS or people who have AIDS. I'm making fun of a piece of shit who lied to everyone about finding the cure for AIDS, which I, I couldn't find anything that showed exactly what it was, but somebody suggested that she was doing some kind of like um, vaccine type thought process where she was like if i drink the aids blood i'm free from the aids no that's just gonna give you like super aids i i don't know if that's how aids work but it definitely you're not supposed to drink any blood i don't yeah you're not supposed to drink any blood also if you were to like inject yourself with that blood aids is a disease that is constantly evolving so within different communities the actual like virus is different so you could give yourself another type of oh shit damn yeah maybe she was just trying not to drink her best friend water (laughs) oh i just know that when my dad tried to explain aids to my sister and i as a kid he was like it's a disease that affects your immune system so really anything could kill you like a cold the flu a spear look at a rock (laughs) yeah your dad's the best Falling off a cliff. Like, all the normal stuff could also kill you. How, how old were you when your dad sat you down? Um, We were pretty young because it was... So, we were a musical theater family, and I think we were watching Rent for the first time. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, it was like when Rent came out. One of the other things that I, like, tried to do a little bit of research into was figuring out why the traitors went there in the first place. Right. And I found out that a big reason for them going there... Uh, especially the Arab traders, was to collect ivory. Oh, no. Yeah, ivory was a a big commodity during the 1830s and 1840s. For pianos, because this is during the Romance period. So, you know, one of the, some of the most famous people during the Romance period, Beethoven. Oh, Beethoven. So here's what I'm posing <laughs> to you. Speculation Zone, Beethoven caused Coney 2012. Why you do that, Beethoven? What? <laughs> Why'd you do that? If you hadn't been playing them goddamn keys so good, then that dude would have never jacked off in San Diego. Play something harmless like the bongos. <laughs> No, that's not that's not at all how it works. But the reason that we wanted to do this episode is because whenever you watch these Coney 2012 videos, there's a lot of things where they say, like, this shit is complicated. It's not all that simple. And this is the entire explanation of why. It's it's more than just a simple solution, like, send Yaware Museveni all of this money so that he can solve this problem. Because Yaware Museveni is killing a choli people right just because in the past they opposed him because they were afraid of change right so i i'm not necessarily saying 
Yawari Museveni is as bad as Kony, but he's definitely not a good person. Right. He's changed laws. He's directly gone after gay people. In fact, I think, I'm not sure I'll let us know on the next episode, but I think he went so far as to make being gay punishable by death. Jeez. Um, he also has just done some horrible awful things and he's been in power for 33 years and he's not going anywhere but you know what is going somewhere his rap career (laughs) what no no because and no shit the president of uganda officially dropped a rap song in 2010 called you want another rap? Wait, what? But there was no first one. Exactly. He was oh, just, geez. that's like starting your first song with like, don't call it a comeback. I've been here for years, torturing people and <laughs> hurting my peers. <laughs> so here's a clip of You Want Another Rap. Today, these young people talked to me about this rap because I was not following what they were saying. You want another rap? You want another rap? You want another rap? Yes, Sevo, yes. Oh, you want another rap? Yes, Sevo, yes. It's a terrible rapper. It's a bad rap He's and the graphics no slow. The graphics are worse. The graphics are pretty terrible. One of the if you watch the video and we'll probably link it is uh, in the bottom left corner of the video, there's just a, 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 a bunch of pictures of bottles of, I think, alcohol yeah. that are just bouncing around the screen like a windowsaver. <laughs> Where they're like, will it go into the corner or will it not? Yeah, they're just there. But if you think that's good, oh my God, five years later, Homeboy dropped his second track what? called Yen Goma. Check this shit out. Boo. You don't like it? Thumbs down. Like it. Really? No. It's whack. See, I think the flow was pretty good, but I think all those murders he committed pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty terrible, much ruined the pretty song. Pretty terrible. I think that song bangs. <laughs> Oh, I yeah, Ooh. I couldn't listen to more I than don't like a it. few seconds of it. Nah, that's fine. Well, hey, here's the thing. If you're in a Ugandan bush war, <laughs> if, you're, if you're looking around, you know what you see? A bunch of leafy bushes. You know what I'm talking about? Mm, girl. I think this uh I think this whole episode is just a really good example of how important national parks are. 
because she went to a national park and then basically led her own army. So what <laughs> what do you think will happen if you visit one of ours? <laughs> I mean, probably not the same sort of Disney princess talking to animals bullshit that she got into. But, I don't you think know. it was Disney princess at all. She was like, animals, are you responsible for the war? And the buffalo was like, bitch, my leg! <laughs> I'm dying! Please, put me out of my misery! A rock or something! I'm right. a pacifist! <laughs> Can you put some of that fucking oil on my leg? God damn. All right. Anyway. A rock exploded and it got me right in the leg. <laughs> I blame the water. Anyway. <laughs> That's right. I'm a, I'm a I'm an open anti-waterist. <laughs> anyway, I'm just if you drink beer forever. <laughs> if you want to support our national parks and look great doing it, you can go to Open Skies Trading Company because they make shirts, posters, stickers, all types of gear. And the best part about them is every purchase that you make, they will donate $1 to the National Parks Foundation so that that way we can keep our national parks clean and uh, hopefully get rid of all that fucking water. You know, really tired of that human hating water. <laughs> As a proud two legs, I. <laughs> Anyway, you can go to OpenSkiesTrading.com or find them on Facebook and Instagram at OpenSkiesTradingCo. That's OpenSkiesTradingCo. If you uh, if you want to find, I don't know, <laughs> if you want to see me protecting myself from boy- bullets by getting all oily. Ooh, oily boy. Ooh. I'm just not going to shower until my skin gets greasy. <laughs> grease, grease. You can find my oily boy on... Uh, oh, that sounds disgusting. Yikes. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Mondo Does Stuff. That's M-A-N-D-O Does Stuff. And if you want to see Armando the week that this comes out, uh, Armando will be on a tour of the Pacific Northwest. Oh, yeah. I uh, This week, uh, which is today, March 4th, uh, I will be in Portland. And you can come and see me on Wednesday the 6th at Liberty Glass at 9 p.m. You can also see both me and Andrea on a couple of shows. On Thursday the 7th, we'll be at the Gateway Show at 8 p.m. in at Bites of Bangkok in Seattle. On Friday the 8th, we'll be in Tacoma at 8 p.m. at Shakabra. On Saturday the 9th, we'll be at Comedy Bender at 12 p.m. at The Lamp. And then at the Gateway Show in Portland at 9.30 at the Funhouse Lounge. And then on Sunday the 10th, we will be in Bellingham for the Gateway Show at 8 p.m. at the Upfront Theater. And you can find all of that information on Mondo Does Stuff or... At Sundress Comic. On Instagram and Twitter. And if you guys are still in the L.A. area, because I will be sober and not doing gateway shows, on March 12th, I will be roast battling Billy Anderson at the Comedy Store. Who, funny enough, is the guy who created the gateway show. And will be with you guys in Washington, right? Yeah, it's pretty crazy he uh he's i mean insane. he scheduled this shit so yeah well, i mean like technically i asked him about the date he was like <laughs> yeah that works perfect <laughs> yeah Paige is an amazing roast battler she beat fucking beat my ass <laughs> and billy anderson also beat me but just barely and uh he he's a really good roast battler and i think that it's going to be an amazing battle and you guys should definitely watch if you're here or watch on periscope uh, yeah, if you want to get your degree in cult medical transcription, you can <laughs> contact me on Twitter at Paige Wesley or on Instagram at Rampage Wesley. Hey, you. You're sitting on your ass listening to podcasts again. <laughs> uh, and why aren't you following us on Instagram? That's how you better your life. 
You can do that at Colt Podcast on Instagram. Or if you want to make a difference and actually change your life, you can follow us on Twitter <laughs> at Colt Podcast Show. You can apply for our community college <laughs> via email, which is coltpodcastshow at gmail.com. Or if you want to send us your applications to the Colt Podcast Vocational University. Or our dictator rap snacks. Or dictator rap <laughs> snacks. Definitely dictator rap snacks. You can send those to 3756 West Avenue 40, Suite K, number 237. Like, like the, the Shining. Los Angeles, California, 90065. And you can find all of those addresses, email, physical, and more information on our website, which is coltpodcastshow.com. And I'm going to say for this one, uh, don't drink the water because it's real mad about it. (laughs) (laughs) Goddamn two legs. (laughs) And don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye.